and welcome back this is mark bringing you another episode of midnight social distortion hopefully you had a great week beginning with black history month and hopefully you learned something regarding black history or even better black horror history and whether it's from my page or other pages i just hope that you took something from this past week and the coming days ahead I will be continually updating my pages with a lot of stuff featuring black history character, black horror, queer horror characters in history, excuse me. So I've been seeing some people focus on combining both black history and women in horror celebrations, education, educating the masses on extraordinary black women in horror, whether they are behind the scenes or in front of the lens. If you follow me on social media, then you'll know that I've added black LGBTQAI to the equation. In short, there's a lot to celebrate and honor this month. So let me know what you've discovered on your socials or wherever you can reach me. In this episode, I'll be breaking down my review of Scream. I know I've done it like two or three times on Instagram in short spurts or whatnot, but I'm going to do it officially on the podcast now. But I'll also be doing Celebrity Big Brother as well. And as I'm recording this right now, there is an eviction going on right now on Celebrity Big Brother. But I was supposed to have had this episode out as of this recording this morning, which is Friday, February 11th. But yeah, the bed was not having that. So I am giving it to you now. But before I get to that, my screen, I want to, I want to tell everybody that this review of Scream on the podcast will be spoiler drenched. And I would give you my overall critique of the movie, but it would not be a take by take, like, you know, scene by scene breakdown of everything that's going on. I'm pretty sure that by now you've all got a breakdown of each scene and, you know, verbatim from various podcasts at this moment. So I'm just going to give you my thoughts on it. I am not going to try to rank my screen um, movies because I just, I don't know, that tends to cause a lot of debate and, it's a it's good to have some good health debate when it comes to horror and stuff like that. But I've seen some screen rankings, and I was like, I am not throwing my um head in that because I don't want. I must say I don't want any problems. I just don't want to for the debate to turn into a full blown argument. Because let's face it, we all have our love for Scream, and we all have our faves. If you know me, then you know my faves of the, the franchise, but I am not rushing to put Screen 2022 up. And, you know, it's five of them, so they're all in the top five. But I'm not trying to rush and say, like, oh, Screen 2022 or Screen 5 is better than X, Y, and Z because I think that I'm trying to wait until all the hype dies down and I'm going to do that also with like stuff like Spider-Man No Way Home and other movies that's getting ready to come out. I tend to like to wait until all that hype dies down or rather I tend to take people's rankings of movies like that way after the hype dies down. Because let's face it, you could say Scream 2022 and Spider-Man No Way Home both have they they could both be argued that they're fan service movies and yeah and i had to to look at people and be like are you ranking it so high or think it should get all these accolades because it 
tickled a funny bone in your system with a specific, you know, callback or something like that? Or do, are you doing it actually for the story? Because we tend to have a lot of people nowadays that tend to let fan callbacks or um, what's the call uh, fan service dictate their emotions and their common sense when it comes to actual story and if stuff makes sense or anything like that. So I'm not ranking screen five right now. Um, I'm, I'm going to see, cause I'm pretty sure everybody who rushed to rank it so soon are going to probably rethink that once they get a chance to go home and watch it and go back and rewind and, um, you know, look at it with a fine tooth comb instead of just being stuck in a theater for almost two hours and just taking it in and not really digesting on the overall aspect of it. And that's not to say that the movie is bad because it's far from bad. It's not, I don't think it's bad at all. I just know that a lot of people tend to, when they first go see these type of movies, they tend to hype them up to the point where it's like, okay, um, are you ranking it high because of fan service? Or are you ranking it high because of story? I don't think we talk about that enough when it comes to just movies in general and TV shows. So when I do go into the screen critique, it's not going to be a um, all out glaring review or anything like that. Or rather, I'm not going to just say what's well, better than this screen or this other screen or something like that. I'm not going to do that. But I'm also going to talk about Celebrity Big Brother and my reignited love for the game and for the show I missed out on the last Big Brother season which was traumatic because it gave according to my friends who stayed with it and watched it it gave me it gave the world everything that I've been wanting for Big Brother for like the last 20 some odd years I want to say 21 years so I will be getting into that deeper Um, but first before I get into any of that I'm going to tell you what has me shook for the week. And I pretty much got five items down here at the moment. There's plenty of other stuff that kind of shook me for this week, but these five are the ones that stuck out for me. Uh, I'm just going to go into number one because this is the weekend of the Super Bowl. So I know me and a few friends um, and colleagues was wondering whether or not Jordan Peele's Nope trailer was going to drop during this weekend because it's it's due to drop in june or is it july i gotta look relook it up again but i know it's supposed to drop this summer and I, everybody knows that during the super bowl that's when a lot of the big tentpole movies are get you know get trailers and whatnot so us mulling about it manifested it into reality and so we will begin the trailer this weekend during the Super Bowl, and I'm excited. I will be coming on here and doing a quick reaction to the Nope trailer. I'm not going to try to sit there and be like, oh, is this going to be like Get Out or is it going to have something like Us? I'm just going to try to see what the movie is trying to say, period. I'm not trying to dictate it. I'm not dictate, but try to like figure out if it's going to be another get out or another us i just want to see what jordan peele is going to get ready to give um, give us so i'm looking forward to that also during this week we got the trailer for jurassic world dominion the third movie in the jurassic world trilogy of the jurassic park franchise i like to call it jurassic park six 
because I think that the rebranding of the franchise of Jurassic World is just the next step to it, though. But I think that it was over. It's overall Jurassic um, Park six, and I'm glad that the that the um, producers and the creators of the franchise at the moment are really telling people like, yes, Jurassic, um, the Lost World, Jurassic Park, and Jurassic Park three took place in the same um, universe because I knew when the Jurassic World first came out, a lot of people thought that they just skipped right over the Lost World and Jurassic Park 3. And I'm like, no, there was a lot of callbacks to those movies. So because they've told me people want to erase them from their memory, I particularly did not care for Jurassic Park 3, though, but it fucking happened. So let it let it play out. But um, I actually did enjoy the Lost World even though I felt like it was a huge departure from the, the books. It, I mean, I felt like it was a huge departure from the book, but I still enjoyed it nonetheless for what it was doing for the movie verse, the movie world of Jurassic Park. So, but yeah, I cannot wait for Dominion to come out. I enjoyed the, the, the trailer itself sent chills down my spine and I haven't gotten this since the actual trailer for Jurassic World uh, because it was a like, it, it, it just gave me everything I wanted because I remember going into the theater in 1993 and seeing Jurassic Park for the first time and just being in awe and just running to try to rush and go read the book. Yes, I was in the fifth grade when I read Jurassic Park by Michael Crichton. And I've read it two times since then. And it seems like I, I pick up something new every time I read it, which is what you do with a book anywhere. So... And I've read The Lost World, I think, four times. But either way, I enjoyed that series. I enjoyed that world. And I'm eager to sit there and see how they incorporate, you know, dinosaurs running amongst populated people, which we got a glimpse of in um, The Lost World, Jurassic Park. So that was another thing that um, shook me this week. Also, Shudder renewed Slasher for a season five. I have not finished Slasher um, Flesh and Blood. <laughs> I know I'm so far behind on it, but I'm just glad that we're getting another season of Slasher. This time, it's going to take place in, I think, the 1800s. So that's going to be a very interesting you know, premise for it to be like this 1800s killer. I would, if they're doing that, I want Slasher season six to be in the 1980s or the 1990s or even the 70s. Give us a good old fashioned like throwback Slasher where there's no cell phones, no emails, no text messaging, no, just give us something like down to the basics, you know, and just give us that. And I guess you could sit there and say that Slasher season five is going to do the same thing. Um, yeah, but I prefer to see some 80s hairdos, um, well, the, the crop tank tops the guys were wearing back in the days and the short shorts and the girls with the bikinis on and the wild punk hair or whatever, you know, just give me some of that, you know, some throwback 80s slasher shit like America Horror Story 1984 did. Bless us, oh slasher gods. <laughs> um... And another thing that happened this week was the UV Horror Society reunited on um, Clubhouse. You know, Bobby Torres, Ryan Kenny, 
and Mike Brown, we all came back together and did a watch party for Tales from the Crib Presents Demon Night. And that watch party gave me everything that I needed because a lot of people, I don't say a lot of people, I'm going to take that back, but Demon Night should be upheld higher in the horror community, in my opinion. Yes, it's it's regarded as like an essential watch, but I feel like it should be like up there, up there, like with like Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday 13th and stuff like that, because it's just so rich with so much mythology that was that is left to be, you know, that is untapped. I mentioned in the watch party that it would be great if they took Demon Knight and like adapted for TV. Like there could be like a launch for a new Tales from the Crypt series instead of doing like one episodes or something like that, just do like season long episodes or something like that. Or just have like this season be called Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight and then like the next season be a run of standalone anthology episodes and then come back with another season where it's like a story that takes place over like eight to ten episodes or something you know with that Tales from the Crypt you know dark humor mixed in with like the blood and the guts and everything I want them to do like they did it with From Dust to Dawn I feel like it has the same blueprint like From Dust to Dawn did from like from from um film to television um when they took the story of the gecko brothers and the mythology of the vampires and expanded it and then like you know most the last half of from dust to dawn takes place in the um the titty twister but i think that the gecko brothers and i forget the family's name jesus that's bad anyway when they get to the actual titty twist in the series, I think it was either episode five or six. And then like the rest of the series took place in, at, you know, during the, um, the siege of the vampires against, you know, the, the remaining humans in the bar. And I feel like there'll be a good thing for them to do with like, you get backstories on breaker, you know, further explore the, you know, the demon knight, you know, lineage and whatnot and him and the collector doing this whole, you know, cat and mouse chase across the little area that they're eventually going to end up at give us a backstory on Geraldine and even the residents of you know um why is my name blanking for um her name right now but anyway cch pounders character give a um give a backstory of all of them why they're at this hotel, this motel and how they all end up there that night and like bond the connections. Even though I felt like Ernest Dickinson did a damn great job with the movie because you tended to fall for the characters involved in such a small, in a, such a short time that when they made the demise, it's kind of like, oh, damn. Except for Roach, you know, we all to give a shit about him. I don't have to have a backstory about him. He's an asshole, you know, just, just have him leer- leering in a corner or something like that whatever just have him just be even more duplicitous in the tv show so he when he does die it's like a big crowd pleaser moment but yeah demon knight forever forever needs to be giving his flowers on a yearly basis hell a monthly basis a daily basis if you ask me but and also the creators of the evil dead game coming up decided to give us uh 
they it went up for pre-order this week and they have a lot of stuff for collectors like pretty much anything that how can i put this when i when I game, I tend to go all out for certain games. And those certain games are either Resident Evil or Grand Theft Auto. I put money down on those special edition versions of those games. Like, I don't, like, the game itself with now today's um inflation prices, it'd probably be $69.99 for the PS4 version, which is what I own. I have not joined PS5 Nation yet. I'm working on it, but, you know, slowly but surely. But I am willing to drop this $129 for the collector set for the Evil Dead. But I am also even more willing, and this would be the highest I've ever spent for a video game package. And that's $199. Now, you're probably saying, what the fuck is worth $199? Well, with the $129 version of the game, you get the game, of course, Deluxe Addiction. uh, Addiction, excuse me, shit. You get the Deluxe Edition. Then you get an exclusive Savini Ash in-game skin. You get the Art of the Evil Dead hardcover book. You also get an exclusive Evil Dead game soundtrack on colored vinyl. Vinyl or vinyl. I can't pronounce that word. Y'all excuse me. Vinyl. And then exclusive Evil Dead, the game Steel Book. You get an exclusive t-shirt. You can choose your size. Thank God, because I'm an XL. An exclusive art card set. You get Evil Dead, the game season pass one. I didn't know it was going to have a season pass with it. So that's, that's exciting. Excuse me. Exciting. Collectible outer box and two pre-order Ash in-game outfits. So with that, that's a lot. And for 129, you can't beat that. Me personally, I'm going to shoot for the 199 one because let's face it. I have to be doing the damn most with um my funds so with that game it comes with let me see here the ultimate collector's edition comes with a full-size replica evil dead 2 book of the dead necronomicon prop by trick-or-treat studios and licensed by studio canal and you get that and all the shit from the that you would get in the collector's edition. I'm willing to pay that for the ne- Necronomicon. Uh, Necronomicon. I cannot pronounce this shit, but the Book of the Dead. I'm willing to sit there and pay that much for the Book of the Dead because if you think about it, if the set, if the collector's edition set is 129 by itself, then you have to add what? So the Book of the Dead by itself is 70 bucks so i'm another that's, that's a lot of money you could save but it's just like why not go for the you know the full set you know you it's, it's just 70 dollars more now to you anybody else talk to me if you talk to me on a regular on a daily basis you probably know like seven dollars go a long way that's gas for the week um that's lunch for the week 
um, you know, maybe a subscription to some website. I don't know, but you can do a lot with $70 if you know how to budget it right. But I really want this damn book of the day. <laughs> it looks so damn good. And I'm not that big of an Evil Dead fan, but I don't know. It just seems like something that I would actually have. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Evil Dead 2 and I love the remake. I love I'm not a big fan of Armor of the Dead. I know that's a um unpopular opinion, but I felt like it was more of a comedy than anything. And I know Evil Dead 2 is seen as a hard comedy, but I I I like it. And I like the cabin in the woods and the you know by the numbers, you know, murders and like or the deaths and whatnot. But I I mean I love the Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2 and the Evil Dead remake, and I would, if I had to, this is something that I, you know, I'll rank that. Army of Darkness would fall in the fourth slot of my Evil Dead um, rankings, and I know I'm just scared to talk about rankings and everything like that, but there's no new Evil Dead movie out right now until Evil Dead Rises drops. But and even when Evil Dead Rises drop, I'm not gonna rank it so quick because I'm scared that, you know, people are gonna be like so hyped for it that it's gonna be probably right up there at number one for some people, maybe number two. And then I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna wait till everybody just calm down before I rank that again. But since the four movies that are already out, I'm just gonna just say I'm number four. I mean, I'm, I'm number number four goes to the Army of Darkness. So other than that, the last thing on my news that got me shook week is pretty much toy hunting now as of late i you know during the christmas season the thanksgiving i luckily just said you know what i'm done toy hunting if i see something that i like i will go ahead and get it but i'm not in a rush to try to own like just everything that comes out then they released the Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness figures for, uh, yeah, for, um, you know, for Marvel Legends. And I didn't expect them to come out so soon. I was expecting them to try, probably drop in like mid-March, maybe early April because the movie was pushed to May. No, they decided to drop them now. And I get it. The, the initial um, release date for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness in the Multiverse of Madness was supposed to be in March, but they pushed it back to summer. So by it being that was the original um, release date, it made sense for them to drop them now. Um, it's just that with all of COVID, everything being backed up, you know, Hasbro has a schedule that he had to, you know, uphold and get, you know, and sell these products and whatnot and move them. But it's kind of hard to get those products on store shelves in in a bountiful way because the store shelves still have like pegs filled with Eternals figures and the um, Marvel Legends Age of Apocalypse Wave 2 figures. Some of them around my area are not selling really well or we're just trying to wait for them to go down on clearance. Now, my dumb ass went and bought all of them for a price when they dropped like last fall. And I kind of wish I had not have done that because 
I did the same thing with the Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings figures. I rushed to get all those at full price and then noticed that these bad boys were not selling. <laughs> they just were not selling. And I have my reasons to why they probably weren't selling. And I think it's the same thing with Eternals, but I'll just withhold that for now on here for a time. But I know that with the Multiverse of Madness, um situation is going to be a shit show given the fact that there's a lot of firsts um uh, for some of the figures in this wave like america Ch um chavez or chavez which i cannot find anywhere um the character of wong he i did manage to get his figure thank god um but i was like those two are gonna probably be the ones that um people are trying to get their hands on especially um the astral Doctor Strange figure, and of course Doctor Strange himself, and um, Master Mordo. I get Master Mordo and Doctor Strange. I looked up on those, and the other two figures in the wave. I was shocked because they're not in the movie, but they're just like figures they just threw into the wave. Um, Sleepwalker, I believe, and Despair, and those are the ones I think a lot of people are trying to get because I think those are first time Marvel Legends that's been introduced into the um into the um wait onto the line so those are selling pretty much too but i've noticed that certain stores have just been releasing like they've been putting on the pegs like one figure per each character and they're just not putting up a lot of them out there at the same time and i'm thinking that's only because they are probably trying to get those eternals and those age of apocalypse figures out the way now spider-man no way home that wave sold pretty well um if you luck up to find any of those on the shelves then you know kudos to you i managed to find the walmart exclusive uh, peter parker figure that you can have that's interchangeable with his um uh, with like a tom holland head but i have not been able to find the integrated suit spider-man figure and I managed to get my hands on a Miles Morales figure. That's the one I wanted out the entire way, to be honest with you. And I also got the Doctor Strange. And for some dumbass reasons, I picked up a J. Jonah Jameson because I thought that I could take his head off and put the head of Tom Holland on it. But Jay, they aged the fuck out of J. Jonah um, Jameson's hands. And so also I think he has on a, a wedding ring. So it kind of didn't work out so and also the figure is horrible at standing i will give you that but the reason why i bring it up toy hunting is because i for the longest time since moving to memphis have had a hard time trying to find the toys that i wanted because either i will go there on a bad day or i wait too late in the day to go and somebody has, come, has already came in and cleaned out the section of stuff that i'm looking for and i looked up and i met a person at a target and they introduced me to a facebook group um that is for toy collectors in the area and what they do is they'll tell people yeah i just left this target or this walmart or this GameStop, and i found the fig these type of figures here for anybody that wants to go by and you know try to get the rest of them or something like that and it's helped out pretty much because that's how i found my doctor strange and brother um brother i mean master mordo figures and also other figures that i've been looking for i finally completed the plasma series 
Ghostbusters Afterlife set by um from the group because they posted that the long and thought sold out the family that bust together two pack with um Phoebe and another character for the movie, which I'm not going to spoil here, is finally on the shelves at Target because it's a Target exclusive. And I was so happy that they told me that because I probably would have sat there and just missed it. But as soon as I found out that a Target near me had it, I went and scooped it up real quick. And also, thanks to my boy Jose, who actually went and bought one for me down in Georgia. And I told him to go ahead and take it back because I, you know, to save him some money and whatnot. But yeah uh so thank you to mid-south toy group for including me and for looking out for me because i feel like they are genuine guys they're not that i think they're doing the group to um beat scalpers and you guys know how i hate scalpers for anything whether it's toys tickets movies whatnot so because even that the family that bust together set when it's pre-ordered off the internet off of Target's website people got them and started selling them for like a hundred bucks on eBay and other websites which is twice as um, its actual um, value so thanks for those people so yeah that's pretty much all that has shook me for this week um and when I come back I will delve delve I will delve deep into Celebrity Big Brother so stay tuned be right back Okay, and we're back to the second portion of the show where I discuss this season's Celebrity Big Brother. Celebrity Big Brother started, I want to say, last Wednesday or Tuesday or something. It's already been two weeks worth of drama, and I am here for it. Now, I haven't seen Big Brother probably since Celebrity Big Brother 2. Um, I tuned in to... I believe it was season 21 um, where they had the guy. It was, I think I, I don't know the guy's name, but all I know is, is that the first episode they had, you know, all the house guests do these random challenges. I do know that I think it was before COVID and this strong, you know, athletic white guy won. And so Julie Chen said, well, there's a twist the last four people, uh, there's four, you gotta, you gotta, uh, set four people up for elimination and they have to go through this trial to see who makes it out. The, uh, to, to basically they, he, um, he had to choose four people and out of a house of 14, I think it was 14 or 16. He chose the black guy, the Latino woman, I think the Asian guy, and an old white man and i already knew where this season was headed and i just said nope i am done i am tired i am entirely tired of like these big mega super white alliances taking out the house if it's not a super alliance of white people it's a super alliance of like white dudes and they just demolish the entire house and there's like no no there's like there's no stopping them 
And even when they get like knocked down in numbers, they still manage to somehow come back in the end and take it every season. And if it's not one of them, it's somebody who they cape for a female in there and she ends up winning because everybody's like, oh, she's so hot. She's so cute. We got to make sure she's safe, blah, 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 and all that. I got fed up with it. And I didn't watch the um, second All-Stars version of Big Brother because even though I had a lot of people in there that I did like as Big Brother players, like, um, oh, I forgot her name. Um, Jesus, my mind's blanking right now. But I think it's Danisha, whatever her name is. Anyway, there was a lot of people in that cast that I did enjoy, but they were not enough for me to come back and want to watch again because I just didn't care. Then they gave us Big Brother. I think before the reunion cast, they gave us Big Brother, uh, Celebrity Big Brother 2, which is when Tamar Braxton came in and demolished and won the whole thing. And at that point, Tamar Braxton was the first black person on Big Brother to win the entire show. But, and I don't want to give that as like a but. I don't want to put an asterisk beside it though, but it was the fact that it was a celebrity version. So, you know, it didn't matter who won. I would say it didn't matter, but it, it was a great thing that she, and I forgot who was her second place, but I know he was also black. So it was the first time to see that on there. So I was excited for that. Um, who was it? It was Ricky Williams. And I was glad to see that both of them made it to the end. And, because I enjoyed both of them in the game. So it was great. But I missed out last year on Big Brother. And I think it was because I was just completely burnt out of the show and of just trying to keep up with like reality shows in general. That also includes RuPaul's Drag Race. So I missed out on the epic history-making alliance known as the Cookout. I've been dragged by many people you know friends and relatives who was like i can't believe out of all the big brothers you decide to start watching is the one where you get everything you've been bitching about for the last like 10 years you get all that in one season and you just did not decide to watch and i was like i'm sorry and i kept telling people i was gonna get on it but i never did but knowing that there was a final six of black people it's just beautiful and i do i do plan on going back and watching this season from day from like day one because i did watch like the first week of episodes but yeah so i decided that the next iteration of big brother that was going to come out especially the celebrity edition that i was going to be there front and center and that's where we are now so at this recording big brother has had three evictions so far in this season i haven't seen the third one yet as soon as i get the recording this i'm gonna go in there and see who was sent home but this season celebrity big brother has a cast that includes teddy mellencamp mariah nagasu i probably butched the hell out her name and let me tell you what they do teddy was a real housewife um mariah was an olympic medalist Chris Kattan is, you know, who doesn't know Chris Kattan? He's a comedian, you know, Night of Roxbury. Uh, 
if you're a horror fan, you remember hearing from the House on Hunter Hill remake. So, you know, you should know who Chris Kattan is if you're like, you know. Then we have Chris Kirkpatrick, who is, you know, from NSYNC. You have Carson Kressley, who is not only from um, the original Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, but is also a contest, a contest by, um, judge on RuPaul's Drag Race. And we have Cynthia Bailey, former Real Housewife of Atlanta and supermodel and we have lamar odom if you're a kardashian person do you and or a lakers fan do you know who lamar odom is misha tate she's a ufc mixed martial artist i don't fuck with that so that was a random one Shayna mokler she's an actress and a former miss usa i've heard that name i just didn't know exactly what she did so I know she's one of those reality shows type people that's on the, like the uh, fringes of most of the reality shows that are out there. We have Todd Bridges, who we all know from Different Strokes. And finally, we have Todrick Hall. And if you're a black gay person or just a gay in general, I'm pretty sure you know who Todrick Hall is. And whatever side of the fence you reside on concerning him, I understand completely. Um, I get to that in a minute. But these, happy is this one, two, these 10 people have been thrown in a house together for the next few weeks. And yeah, sparks are flying all over the place. But I came into this season um, trying to be, you know, not whining because certain cast members were not on there because there was rumors that, um, Tiffany Pollard, Pollard, aka New York, was supposed to be on this season, and I feel like um, CBS really fucked up when they didn't put her on there. But when you think of CBS, you think of like I don't want to sound ageist though, but you just think of a lot. It's to me out of all the broadcast net, broadcast networks, CBS is the more friend family friendly one. In terms of some of their content, now I know that they have some shows on there that probably push the envelope a little bit, but they don't push them as far as like Foxwood or NBC or even ABC, you know, to a certain degree. But yeah, I just think that they are very safe with a lot of their um, shows. Like you have NCIS, which is an uh, FBI and CSI and all those and I feel like those are like a cleaner version of like Law and Order and the Chicago shows on NBC you know so somebody like Tiffany Pollard being on Big Brother probably would have been like them constantly had to press the beat button every five minutes and even though we know there's been some foul people on like shows like Survivor and previous seasons of Big Brother they have none of them have shit on Tiffany Pollard. So I would have loved to have seen her. I also would have loved to have seen Nene Leakes on there. Um, only because I think that the dynamic in the house, I mean, I, I feel like there'd been a, such a strong presence in the house that it would have, you know, made for a lot of meme moments. Nene's just a meme person. She's like catered for memes and I feel like she would have been gave us all types of memes to go for the rest of this year. So, and out of the casting, I think those are the only two that I would have wished to be on there. 
because we really don't have a big personality this season as like um last season the big brother um celebrity big brother we had tamar braxton and that was pretty much wait a minute yeah that was pretty much it tamar braxton was the big personality this season next to her was probably candy burris but not when I mean big personality, I mean that Candy was a name and you had somebody in there to root for. Cause I was, I'm, I said either Tamar or Candy got to win this. So I'm glad that, um, one of them did. Cause I thought Candy would have had a great social game and whatnot, but you know, she still brought a press. It's not saying that everybody else in the season two didn't have a press, but just like when you saw them, it was going to be like, what the hell they going to say next season one. I feel like the biggest personality in there was, um, Ross Matthews because you know he knows he, he has a great social game and he's very sociable and he's larger than life so but this season I know people might say well there's Todrick Hall Todrick I don't know if it's a game he's playing if it's part of his gameplay rather but he just seems like he's a pawn pretty much he's like a if anything Todrick is very messy and is reminiscent of what he does outside the big brother house so he's just as messy in there as he is outside the big brother house so but it's not giving me big personality if i have to give somebody this season a big personality it'll be carson cressley um i live for carson's um diary room snippets because he's he is being carson he is being you know what you expect from him, you, you you get it. He's serving it, you know, and I am living for Carson, which is why I, out of the remaining people inside the house, I'm praying that he's still in there because before this taping, him and Cynthia were up for elimination. And I did see an argument between Cynthia Bailey and Todd Bridges, which was shocking because Todd and Cynthia were actually getting along pretty well. But I think after the last eviction with um, Mariah, Todd Bridges sort of um, aligned himself up with the uh, uh, Athletic Alliance, which is Misha, Todrick, and Lamar. And so, and they are gunning for Cynthia and Carson for some odd reason, which brings me back to the whole Todrick thing, because I feel like even though Todrick sometimes come on and guest, guest judge or... um, choreographed some of the RuPaul's Drag Race finales and like dance numbers and uh, you know episodes he and Carson I would like to see that in a future episode of RuPaul's Drag Drag Race if they got to share a judging panel together that would be interesting at this point the only person that has not been in the Big Brother house is RuPaul himself because Michelle was actually in Celebrity Big Brother UK and I didn't see that season but it'll be amazing if they got her on the U.S. version. But she's always running off filming with um, RuPaul for Drag Race now, so at the international version. So we'll see. We'll, we'll, I mean, we'll see if that happens sometime soon. But it'll be interesting to see the um, dynamic out because it was Todrick who sat there and started the campaign to get Carson out the house, which I thought was hilarious. Like, the two gays in the house couldn't work together, which is hilarious. <laughs> there could only be one gay, you know, and it's going to be me. So, but I, I don't know. It's just, 
a big messiness on his part. Chris Kattan does not want to be in this Big Brother house. He is like just there, and even though he pleaded for them to vote to evict his ass out, they still kept him, which was dumb. Because what would be the funniest thing or the most ironic thing is the person who does not want to be in the house end up being the one to win, because he's just there. He and all his diary entries are just him completely clueless about what's going on and just like you know I, I think I should go home this is just not my thing but yeah Lamar Odom oh my god uh I'll be dead honest with y'all I was not a big Lakers fan and there's no shade towards LA or the Lakers in general it's just when it comes to basketball I'm usually rooted for who my dad's rooted for and even though growing up in the 90s, I was a big Chicago Bulls fan. I'll be honest. I was I was a Jordan person and uh, of Scottie Pippen and everybody in the Bulls. I was like all there for them. Even they went to the teams, I was rooting for them. But I could just never get into the Lakers. Even when Shaq was on there and Kobe and all of them, I just could never get into the Lakers. But Lamar Odom, I only knew him through the Kardashians and I don't like the Kardashians and I think one of the reasons why I don't like the Kardashians that well is because of Lamar and Kanye because I feel like they just got sucked into their drama and the thing about Lamar Odom is that people only know him as being this you know trouble troublesome ex of Chloe and all that and I hate that he brought her name up in the show and you know just you know that he was still in love with her and everything it was like man just make a name for yourself leave her out of it let them move on but if you have not been watching the live feeds there was a bit where Lamar said something about him having him shitting in the bed and I was like oh god I hope they don't show that on a later episode of the show because that is embarrassing as fuck and it does not look good for your you know it doesn't look good for your image but anyway that's my take on Lamar Chris Kirkpatrick is just Chris Kirkpatrick and I'm actually loving his gameplay on the fact that he did set up a deal with Misha but he made it clear to Misha Todrick and everybody else yeah we have a deal but when it becomes my week of HOH I'm going to do what I want to do to help better my game and I think that's the the problem a lot of people do when they get in these alliances. They let their entire alliance dictate how to use their HOH each week. And that's where you fuck up at because you could be getting rid of potential uh, partners down the line because of somebody else's insecurities and whatnot. So even though I didn't have an issue with Mariah, I'm not in that house. Chris Carpatch was like, yo, she's a competitor and he just took her out before she became even more powerful um and he also had a good excuse meaning that she didn't talk to him as much and it seemed that he put up both people he put up the only other ally she had in the house which was chris katan which to me was smart so i like his gameplay um speaking of misha i am over her because at this rate, when you win two HOHs and then on the second HOH, because Chris Kirkpatrick was the second person that has to have HOH after Misha's first HOH win. And as of this recording, well, before 
um, tonight's eviction, she was HOH again. But it seemed like she wanted to have her way. And I think it's like a HOH curse, the first HOH curse, because they tend to be like, think they run the house and everything. But it's like, honey, if you were in the real Big Brother house, you probably would not have lasted long because they would have came for your neck, given the fact that you was so determined to win the first HOH because a lot of people don't want to win the first HOH because they know it's going to be a big target. And the first person who goes home is just really like, the least I don't it's the same like that's a freebie HOH you know week so it's just a matter of who you think it's like who has not been able who 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 you did not connect with in the in the household you know during their first couple of days in the house the first week in the house but Misha went straight for Teddy Mellencamp because I feel like it was either because Teddy was a former Real Housewife of Beverly Hills or because Teddy was just as um, strong as she was and she didn't like, she she didn't care for this. So she got rid of, you know, Teddy Mellencamp, which I was upset about. Yeah, so these these first three evictions I'm not happy with. Even I'm not going to be happy with whoever goes home tonight because I know it was part of Misha's plan. So, and I know there's a clear divide in the house now. So, but anyway, um... Shayna, I don't have any much to say about her. I she's not giving me like, you know, like if she went home tonight, I would not be mad. Um Todd Bridges, he's just there. Again, like Chris Catan. Um he's not but he's actually playing the game now, but it's just that I'm interested to see how he's gonna be further down the road because he's just sat there and then put himself in front of the bullet twice he decided to sit out the first hoh competition and then when the um gala event thing happened with the um was it one um mon juan twist he you know sat there and just took the the last you know the twist he, he put himself in a block and I guess it was because um, no, he took he took the person who was not going to who the house wasn't gunning for off the block to make her feel safe so they could get Teddy out. So he's taken, you know, the bullet twice. But I'm pretty sure that by him jumping into the game now, he's going to probably be. I don't want to say he's going to be a pawn, but he may be Misha's side of the house pawn, and he'll probably start playing for himself finally. Um, I told you I love Carson, you know, so. But, yeah, that's pretty much the last people in the house. And like I said, Todrick, I mean, well, not, excuse me, I forgot, I forgot Cynthia Bailey. Um, <sighs> Cynthia is that house guest that peeps game and she's like okay i see you where you stand and she wasn't scared to voice her opinion but not to the point where she would be confrontational about it but i did see a clip tonight where she pretty much said you know told todrick and them how she felt about you know everything and that she was like i'm gonna leave this house and with my head held high of my dignity and i was like i hope they didn't kick her out i hope they're not gonna vote her out because usually they'll tell people early in the day like yeah you don't have the vote she might be going home tonight and it's just like 
but some shit sometimes change and that's where the interesting stuff starts but that's pretty much my take on the big brother thing um big brother celebrity big brother three i am i can't wait to see what they do this summer um especially with some of the covid restrictions being lifted even though if y'all see me in the streets i will be completely masked up i don't care what nobody says about like there's no mask mandate because they said this shit the last time and then next thing you know there was a surge and covid finally caught up with my ass so and i'm my family i have two family members that have it as well for the second time so uh but anyway that's neither here nor there but i'm just interested to see what they do with this upcoming summer um edition of big brother i will be you know watching and i wonder if they're going to have a diverse uh, even more diverse cast this season um because of what happened last season or would they go back to status quo and they'd be like well we gave y'all y'all's black alliance and now you should be happy and we're going to go back to what we usually do and if they do that i will be tuning out again because you know it's 2022 and we should not be having like like dick in the soup type producing when it comes to reality shows so that's my take on celebrity big brother three at the moment i am at this point team carson and yeah so i'll keep checking in on it throughout the week um, throughout the month but tell me what you guys think about celebrity big brother do you guys love big brother in general have you tuned in to any of the international versions like the uk um canada i think they they have some they have they're all over the world now so uh which one do you like and i might go back and do a deep dive or episode on the big brother charlie broker um pre black mirror series dead set which is what happens when the zombie apocalypse um erupts on on eviction night in big brother uk if you have not seen it it's on netflix it's five episodes long and netflix also did um uh well not netflix but uh i think it was a uh south um it, i don't i know it's a european version called reality z that's also on netflix there was a that was their adaptation of big of dead set so if you haven't seen those and check them out i may do one on i may do an episode on dead set because i feel like it doesn't get enough flowers but yeah so let me take another break before I start on my review for Scream 5 or Scream 2022. And we're back for the final act or as they say in scream welcome to the third act um scream 2022 is a damn good movie for those who have not yet seen it and i don't know if i mentioned it in the last episode um but i ended up with covid right when scream was getting ready to hit the was right when scream was getting ready to premiere in theaters 
And not only did I get hit with COVID, but I won two separate um, contests that had free tickets with them. It was my luck. I mean, I was devastated because I was supposed to have went down to Atlanta to see Scream with Mike Brown and Tamon Kane and more friends of mine, but I decided not to take that chance knowing that I had COVID and I was showing symptoms. But, excuse me, I did manage to see Scream within the um, first week of its release. Uh, Not the first week, but the first weekend. And I managed to do that by pretty much um, waiting, getting a fairly empty screening of the movie. And I think it was like at most five people in the theater, including me, and we were all separated and I was masked up and it was a matinee, which means that I did not get a chance to participate in the crowd the big crowds and other screen fans and stuff so i managed to do that and i still enjoyed myself um but that's neither here nor there i did see the movie i managed to um avoid spoilers and you know i talked about that in the last episode and i am glad i did because I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of people who still have not seen the movie yet. And if you have not seen the movie and you're listening to this podcast, like I said at the beginning, you probably want to turn away now. Turn off the podcast, come back once you see the movie, and then we'll talk. Um, I do know, well, it has been said that Scream will be on digital aka paramount plus on march the 1st i don't know how true that is um i it was said from hellosydney.com and i know they did a lot of promotion for the movie this year and they worked with the with um radio silence and spyglass entertainment and paramount so i i say that what they said was gold um i do know that the blu-ray and the 4k is supposed to be released i want to say maybe in late march early april um but yeah scream 2022 which i will from here on refer to as scream 5 was a very damn good legacy sequel in the veins of like the star Wars sequels, um, you know, from the phantom men, the phantom, excuse me, the force awakens to, you know, the, the rise of Skywalker. Um, I can't think of any other legacy sequels out there right now. That's bad. Uh, but it, it, I think it's going to set the bar and it's going to probably it. Oh, legacy sequels halloween and i'll get to the comparison of that later on the show but i think that screen five well i'm not gonna think i hope that it sets the bar for other franchises from our youth and what i mean our youth i'm talking about us 90 kids or us 90 teens rather I'm thinking of like a legacy sequel with I Know What You Did Last Summer, Bring Back Brandy, um, Jennifer Love Hewitt, and Freddie Prince Jr. Give them their sequel. Give them their 
their due because I feel like when hard was shifting again after I still know and the trajectory of both leading ladies, Brandy and Jennifer Love Hewitt was, you know, um, going somewhere. Not saying that it wasn't going somewhere, but I'm just saying like they were getting ready to enter another phase of their respectable careers. And I feel like with all that going on, they did not get a chance to do a proper sequel. And we got that movie that we shall not name here. I would also like to see a legacy sequel to Urban Legend. I would like to see Brenda come back and do some crazy shit or just have maybe Brenda, maybe Brenda and the killer from Urban Legend's final cut had a baby or something. And their hell spawn is out there trying to recreate Urban Legend's and make it a modern day twist with like using creepypastas and stuff like that as a means to, you know, um, carry that on. But before I get into all of that, let me stay on topic. Scream 5 um, brought back the trifecta of, you know, horror survivors, you know, Gail Weathers or Gail Weathers, formerly, formerly Gail Weathers Riley, Dewey Riley, and the queen herself, Sydney Prescott. I was actually shocked when they came with, um, they actually got Nev back on board because I was like, she seems like she's moved on past that and she's trying to do something new. And, but she came back and she said the script is what brought her back. And I'm like, I can see that it, it's very valid because what Radio Silence did with the movies and Radio Silence includes, I'm pulling up their names now. Sorry. Matt Bertinet, Matt Bet, Bettinelli, Olpin and Tyler Gillette. What they put together was a damn good script. It was, it did honor the original but it also honored the movies that came after Scream 2, Scream 3, Scream 4. And again, just like with Candyman 2021, that's a legacy sequel. Um, after Candyman 2021, um, Jordan Peele and Nia DaCosta could have been like, you know what? We're not going to even like pull anything from Candyman 2 and Candyman 3. I, I don't, I mean, they technically didn't pull anything from Candyman 3. That could be just like, forgotten but the fact that they utilize daniel robotai's name which was first uttered in Candyman 2 um solidifies that you know sequel but and i feel like screen five could have been like uh because when they sat there and did they announced that the movie's just gonna be called scream i'm like how you know like like why but when they announced the name, they were already deep into filming and they already announced that Nev Campbell, um, David Arquette and Courtney Cox were all coming back in their roles. So we knew it wasn't going to be a reboot, like a complete from the ground reboot. So, but it was just kind of like, oh, screen, we could use the screen, but they could have just, you know, erased a lot of stuff. Hey, they could have erased screen four, you know, they could have done that. They could have did like Halloween did 
and just taken out Scream 2 and Scream 3 and Scream 4 and just started with Scream and just been like, this is the official sequel to blah, blah, blah. But doing that would have been very disrespectful to Wes Craven. It would have been disrespectful to Kevin Williamson. And it would have been disrespectful to Courtney, um, Nev, and David. So I'm glad they just gave us a requel. And they gave us, you know, a new starting point. They opened up a new door for future movies by introducing new characters to the mythos or to the screen, you know, saga where they can build on another branch to the original franchise or the original series without um, diluting it a little bit. And how did they do that? They gave us Sam Carpenter. Now, when they announced all the names of the the, um, cast members or the the cast members and, I mean, excuse me, the characters, they kind of kept the last name secret up and close up until close till the um reveal of the first trailer and then we you know fans started piecing you know connections together um we found out that chad meeks martin and of course mindy meeks martin new queen bay um were twins and they were the if we all knew they were the nephew and um, niece of randy meeks you know og screen and then they gave us, you know, uh, they brought back Judy Hicks, who, who everybody knows I did not care for her in Screen 4. And I would die on that hill. I love Marley Shelton, the actress. I just didn't like her character in Screen 4 because she just seemed so, I don't know, just like this unnecessary comedic, you know, it, like you're supposed to laugh at her, but it was like cringe laughing and it's like, then it went from cringe laughing to annoying laughing because with everything serious going on, and then she's just sitting here bopping around like she's Barney Fife. And I'm like, oh God, I can't do this. I cannot do her. But they gave us that. And then, you know, they came out with the characters' last names. And then we started being, I was like, oh, so Sam Carpenter and Tara were sisters. And I know a lot of people thought that, you know, um, Jenna Ortega, who did an amazing job in the opening um, scene for the movie. I just like her. I just like her in horror, period. So we thought that she was going to bite the dust because she was like the opening kill. And they made, I like how the trailers really did their best not to reveal her being in other parts of the movie to keep that opening, opening kill very suspenseful. I mean, the opening scene very suspenseful. Um, especially by them deviating from the screen rule that the opening kill, I mean, the opening scene is the first kill of the movie. And they gave us, they flipped the script on us and had Tara survive. And which was a new twist to you know what we've seen before. It's just like, now we have a victim, a victim walking around still, you know, in pain and helpless and so she's kind of like the damsel in distress and everybody trying to make sure that she's okay but you know i get more in a few minutes but then we found out that not only is sam and tara's sisters though but sam is actually billy loomis's daughter when i tell you i shot up in my seat in the theater um you know those little you know, some of the theaters have those reclining seats 
I hit that button so damn hard when Billy Loomis appeared in the mirror. I I was like, what in the entire fuck am I looking at right now? And not just Billy Loomis, another actor playing him. They sat there and gave, uh, oh my God, um, Skeet Ulrich a damn good de-aging. And he looked good. He looked damn good. And so I was like, uh, I was just like shocked and I was like shit if I could see this with a bigger audience I would have loved to see everybody's reactions to that reveal and it was just craziness but I was like I'm glad that it was a vision from her for, for Sam and not like Billy's ghost is haunting um, Woodsboro or some shit like that because they could have easily slipped into that territory but they didn't and it, you know so Good job. Good job, Radio Silence. Good job. Because uh, y'all really got me with that one. That was like the second um, get, um, moment in the movie that was gooped. The first one was seeing that Sam, I mean, um, seeing the terror survived the attack. But uh, the second was seeing Billy Loomis. Um, outside of that, uh, I think that the actual first real kill was very chilling especially with the use of red um of red right red right hand by Nick Cave and the Seas. Excuse me. <laughs> because that is like a huge throwback to the original movie. Um the original three movies and the fact that they utilized it and used it as a kill was actually going on was just amazing. It just kind of like raised up like the goosebumps on my body just is like just like oh that's so amazing it's like oh that's awesome so i really enjoyed the fuck out of that use of the song and the throwback and also um we you know found out after the fact that vince was actually Stu marker's nephew um be- i mean i completely forget that Stu had a little sister but when you sitting there in the throes of seeing city being chased around Stu's house you do you do see the little girl bike inside the house and you like okay so where the fuck was she at when all this shit went down you know it's kind of like what that's another storyline that can go with like how did that affect her but you know her son is dead now so who's not to sit there and say she might not pop up in part six you know but we'll find out um but the other i think the kill after vince was that of judy hicks um, it was a good scene, very Hitchcockian. Um, and I know some people had an issue with her getting killed in broad daylight. For me, it felt like this, it just showed that Ghostface is ruthless as fuck because I don't like to bring up the Scream TV series much, but, um, I know some people love that show, but for me, it was... It had its moments, though, but overall, uh, you know, they missed a lot. You know, they tried to be too much like Pretty Little Liars for MTV. and But the thing I'm bringing up about that is, is that they had a daytime kill on there as well. Um, I'm trying to see if any other show this season had a daytime kill. I think it was two daytime kills on this show. Maybe it had been more than, maybe it was more than, yeah, it's a couple of daytime kills in this shows because I think the reason why a lot of people had an issue with it is because it was like in the middle of the neighborhood 
and they were like people not looking outside there's nobody walking down the street or anything like that i'm gonna be one to sit there and tell you that i have blackout curtains in my house um i don't look outside if i hear noises even somebody's out there talking i don't sit there rinsing the window and be outside looking and seeing what the hell is going on hell when i sat there and fell and fucked up my foot uh two weeks ago nobody looked outside and came to my aid so somebody getting killed in broad daylight it can happen it can happen <laughs> it can happen i think a lot of people are just in their mind frame of like whoever let somebody else deal with this shit because she didn't even scream that's the thing i don't think judy screamed when she got stabbed so it's not like she drew attention to herself but like yeah somebody you know getting stabbed happy and stuff like that it's it, it happens a lot so you'd be surprised so I didn't have a problem with that. I just was kind of shocked at how she went because it was just so unexpected. Um, and I think that's the that's what makes the scene work is that it's unexpected for a ghost face to just jump out of a bush in broad daylight and just stab somebody. You know, and just not just stab them, but just stab them mercilessly. And it was just amazing. And I was waiting. For, and I know somebody was like, well, why didn't somebody drive up and see the body um, on the street, like driving? I, that probably happened. It's probably how somebody found them. It's because they, somebody probably was driving by and saw her laying there and didn't call the cops. Hell, who's to sit there and say that nobody didn't call the cops while Wes was getting stabbed in the throat? You know, um, it can happen. So to me, I'm going to say it's too far-fetched. It's very believable. Um, I feel like the scene worked, especially the whole long shot of Wes going around, going about his business in the house and, you know, doing his chores and getting stuff ready for dinner and everything. And then almost opening the door to see his mom dead and then turning around and getting, getting got by Ghostface. So I thought the kill worked. Um, after that, we had the whole thing in the um, hospital with Tara, who that was a suspenseful scene, too. And I know a lot of people were like, um, why is there nobody in the hospital? There's nobody working. Halloween, two people. <laughs> Granted, that was on a skeleton crew shift um, with a few people there. But Michael was knocking down like the security people, the nurses, the doctors, and not giving a shit. And the patient was just in there not knowing what the fuck was happening to them. And maybe they had that particular uh, wing cut off, you know, because of the, the what's the word I'm looking for? The high security significance of that case, knowing that, What's her name? Um, Tara was a victim of a new ghost face. They probably sat there and had a lot of people like, okay, you're cleared to work in this wing. But, you know, they probably was tending to other patients or, you know, something like that. But they probably had to sit there and like dedicate that entire wing to just Tara, given the fact that she was a killer or she was a, she was a victim of the new ghost face. So they couldn't, anybody could be a nerd. It, like, 
anybody's a suspect in Willsboro at this moment. So it's like they had to have like two people on guard. And I'm thinking that when dumb fuck deputy left to go see about uh, Sheriff Judy Hicks, they left the other deputy um, wide open, you know. And who to sit there and say that Ghostface didn't sit there and kill a couple of nurses and we just didn't see them, you know what I'm saying? So... I don't know. I'm not trying to make excuses for it. Some people might sit there and say, oh, you're making excuses for it, but I'm not. It's just that I'm looking at it from, that's how I looked at it. It was like, if this was like in New York City or in, um, hey, Atlanta, here in Memphis, anywhere like that, yeah, you're not going to find a hospital that is that damn bare. But I grew up in a small town kind of like Woodsboro, and we had a hospital that literally had one story, and I got creeped out every time I went in there because there was not that many people in the hospital. There was not that many nurses walking around the hospital. There was not that many doctors walking around the hospital. Most of the action took place in the ER, and anybody that was in the hospital room was probably manned by two nurses, and most of those people were sitting in there waiting to be transferred off to a bigger hospital or they were just in there to like recover from like dehydration or uh, a broken leg or maybe even a heart attack or something like that. Cause they didn't have like a operating space in the hospital. I think they used to have a, they used to have a deliver uh, uh, you know a baby delivery uh wing what they call it maternity wing but they got rid of it and so those hospitals do exist i'm just letting y'all know those hospitals do exist where it's like a skeleton crew 24 7 and there's not that much traffic going in and out but like tara said at the end of the movie make sure you take me to another hospital and it's funny i cackled loud when she said that because that was our motto in my hometown if something happens to me do not take me to brownsville general please take me to jackson um medical jackson general or memphis hospital or something like that do not take me to brownsville general because i will die and so i i felt that i felt all of that so this shit was realistic to me that's i think that's what made it even more scary for me because it, it played on a fear that I actually had. Like, God, I don't want to be in this hospital because Lord knows who will be in here when my parents go home and I'm just up here. And you have like only one or two nurses that's going to come and check in on you all night because, you know, it's, it's bad. But I enjoyed this scene because I felt like Jenna Ortega, the whole thing with her having to get out of the bed, get into the wheelchair and... You, she has to will herself knowing that she has wounds on her hands and just seeing her um put try to like will herself to help knowing that the stitches in her hand are like busting and the blood is dripping all over the place i mean just oh god it was like a a, a dash of torture porn thrown in at this moment and i hate torture porn porn because especially when it's gratuitous but I felt like that was just the right amount to enhance the, like the suspense of that scene. So, and she did it beautifully. Um, as soon as Gail Weathers came to town and 
her and Dewey had that exchange that has been long. Um, that they, you know, that we, I mean, after all those years of not being in the same vicinity with each other, and she was right to smack him. A fucking text message, really, Dewey? After all we've been through, you gonna send me a fucking text message? But you know, Dewey was all like, but I understand where Dewey's coming from. Sometimes you feel like if he had have called, she probably not have answered. So he had to send a text message, but um, who knows? I don't know. I probably, that's probably an issue I need to work on though. But yeah, I really um, felt that scene. But when he turned away, when it was like between her and then Sam going back to the hospital to try to check on Tara, I was like, Dewey, stay with Gail. Please stay with Gail. He got in that car. I was like, fuck. So, because I just knew something was happening. And then to rewind back a little bit, when we first see Dewey after Sam and Richie come by to tell him what was going on, and he called Sydney, which was a beautiful scene. Um, Sydney telling him, oh, Dewey, you know I'm not coming back to Woodsboro no time soon. I knew then he was a dead man. Because... We knew in the trailers and in the movie that Sydney's eventually going to end up back in Willsboro. But at that particular moment in the movie, after all she's been through, she has two little girls with Mark, Detective Mark Kincaid, mind you. She had no reason to come back. Like, nothing good came out of Willsboro for Sydney Prescott. She had nothing left there. Neil had died. Um, so she really had no connection left in Woodsboro outside of Dewey and the fact that they hadn't talked in a minute was kind of like heartbreak, heartbreaking but it makes sense because you know she's trying to live her future with her with her family her new family and so when Dewey sat there and said you know, or, you know she's like you know I, I'm not coming back to Woodsboro anytime soon but you know be careful, and I knew then that Dewey was a dead man because that would be the only reason why she would come back to Willsboro after all this time. And so Dewey was at his wit's end already, it seems like, and hearing that the town of Willsboro sat there and forced him into retirement was just disrespectful. And I feel like it was just a showcase of how I guess the town of Woodsboro was like, we're just trying to move forward from the whole Ghostface massacre or the stab movies and stuff like that. I'm pretty sure that's probably probably how um Amityville, New York probably feels. It's like we're just trying to move on from all that bullshit and they just try to get rid of everything that is except they still got the house there, but that's a whole nother episode which I am planning on doing soon but but yeah so do we get into the hospital and shooting the pure fuck out of Ghostface saving Tara and old boy Richie and getting on the elevator and when he said to say oh I forgot to shoot them in the head and I was like do we if you don't get your ass back in that elevator I'm going to fuck you up. And then he went and sent them downstairs and then emptied the casings out. 
only for Ghostface to sit there and not only get the best of him, but stab him in his scar tissue area and then stab him in the stomach. When I tell you those other four people in the movie were like, man, fuck this damn movie, dude. They didn't kill Dewey. I'm like, you damn right. You know, I'm like, the fuck? I was shocked. I almost grabbed my coat and left because I was like, they killed one of the trifecta. But we knew at the same time it was going to happen. Personally, I thought it was going to end up being Gail or Sydney. Mainly Sydney because I feel like Nev Campbell was like, I'm tired of this. I will come back if you guys kill me. But I was shocked that it was Dewey because he was the heart. You know, he was the heart, you know, the soul. And so it was sad to see him go. And the disrespectful, it's been, a, it, it, it's a pleasure from Ghostface. It was like, oh my God, you bastard, bitch, whatever, you know. So we know who did it. But I'm going to get to that in a few minutes. So seeing that was disappointing and then having Sydney come back and reunite with Gail was very touching because they went through a lot. Me and my boy Taymon Kane, like I tell everybody, Taymon Kane is the is the Gail to my Sydney. And them hoes went been through a lot. They went from fighting each other to saving each other, to fighting each other, to saving each other again, to just being, you know, like blood, not like literal blood sisters, but, but just being like sisters in blood because they both had to survive these damn crazy ass um, fanatics. And so they, they develop a bond with each other. So seeing Sydney show up and then go straight to comfort, say, um, um, Gail was just like, they've come a long way. And as they said, you know, that's growth. You know, that's character growth, you know, like, um, it was, it was a good moment and, and them two working with each other at the end, um, especially trying to like tell Sam, like, yo, you need to nip this shit in the bud. You are Billy Loomis's daughter. This shit's surrounding you. You can try to run, but you're not going to run away from this. This is constantly going to come at you. You need to stop it at its source. And for them, and I like the moment where it's like, Sydney was like, I'll put a track on her car. And she looked at Gail and said, I thought you did some shit like this. And Gail's like, you know what? You're right. That was like, you know, sisterhood. You know, like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You know, yeah. So, and then we get to the whole thing at the party, which I'll get to in a minute. But let me remind back and get to... um the new cast because I've been on the whole, you know, the um the OGs for a minute, but I love Sam. I know a lot of people didn't care for her, but I always want to tell them, would you rather have um Sam or would you rather have God, I forgot her name, the girl from um Fear Street nineteen ninety I would rather follow Sam because at least Sam is not trying to get my ass killed in order to save one person. So I forget the girl's name. I have to look it up anyway. But uh, Sam, I feel like is a great, uh, I feel like she's a great lead, but I feel like she was overshadowed by Jenna Ortega's Tara. And the reason why I say that is because Tara gave me Tatum vibes a little bit, but in a manner of that, you know, she had like the 
me take that back. She don't give me Tatum vibes. But I'm just saying that she feels like she she feels more like a Sydney to me. You know, like she's the the damsel in distress and everybody's trying to make sure that she's okay and whatnot. Um but I feel like between Tara and Sam, Sam by taking out Richie, I think that activated a bloodlust in her that she was trying to ignore or that she was fearing that she was going to have. And I would be, I would not be upset if they end up having like the last two movies or like Scream 6 and Scream 7 or whatever they do with the next two, um, have it be like Sam finally snaps and actually goes on her own killing spree. And then it has to be like, Tara has to be the one to stop her or something like that. Because... I know a lot of people was hoping that Sydney would have been the one to snap. And I'm glad it didn't go with that because I felt like that is tired and it's not a good idea. Um, it happened in, um, in R the R.L. Stein, the babysitter series. And it was like, I actually threw a book across the room when it, when it came to the reveal. Um, it wasn't earned. Um, and I don't think it's earned with Sydney because she never wanted to be in the spotlight. And all the scream killers wanted to be in the spotlight, except for um, Mrs. Loomis. She was just doing it for, like she said, old-fashioned revenge. But Billy, Stu, Mickey, um, Rowan, um, damn, what's her cousin? Jill and Charlie, they all were fame whores. And they wanted to be... and even though Jill wanted to do something where she wanted to kill and survive and end up being like, a, a um, damn, what is the um, Angela from sleepaway camp, um, type thing where she ends up being a survivor of all these murders and shit like that, just to get, you know, her fame, her 15 minutes. And, but still she wanted to be in the spotlight. So it makes no sense whatsoever for city to all of a sudden want to, go their route with being a scream killer. That's just how I look at it. But Sam, on the other hand, it just seems like it's an inevitable, oh, excuse me, it's an inevitability, uh, it's inevitable for her, excuse me, for her to be able to do something like this. So if she did it, I'll feel like it'll be earned because even though she don't want to be in the spotlight, it just feels like if she did go into like a killing spree, it would be because, you know, her grandmother was a mass murderer and so was her father. So it just seems like it probably could be a struggle within her to be like, to, to break the, the uh, generational curse or whatever you want to have it, but um, within her lineage and stuff. And then there's a the whole mystery of who Sam's and Tara's mom is. I'm pretty sure. And I hope radio silence goes with that and make it tie into something that, harkens back to the original movie so in some capacity um but i enjoyed both of them as the two new leads like sam and tara i like the new gail and sydney um and with richie him being sam's boyfriend um and end up being Ghostface number one or Ghostface number two, but I think he was the mastermind behind everything. Um, 
that was a that's that's the whole thing of the requel. That's the that's the re part of the requel, having the boyfriend, the unassuming boyfriend, be well. Billy was suspect from day one, but uh, Richie did not do. I mean, Richie was very unassuming, and it's kind of like, of course, the lead um, is not going to be. Of course, they're not gonna go with the boyfriend this time around because it throws the audience off. You know, expectations. And even though Dewey and Amber kind of like threw hints at the beginning of the movie um, that he's in on it, it just seems like the directors and the writing deviated from that because he was actually looking at stuff about Stab 8 on the, um, on the, on YouTube, which is what we saw that Kirby Reed did survive. Boom. For all those Kirby haters out there. But, it looked it it was a double it was a double entendre because him looking at like binging all the stab movies on Netflix and then going back and looking at all the reviews of all the movies, it looks unassuming because he's like, I haven't seen any of them. But when you look at it from a from the with a second glance, it's like, of course he's looking at it because he's he's obsessed. And he's trying to get new ideas from these movies, you know, and it play it, it, it could go either way like if he's sitting there saying like i have no idea what's going on and i'm just trying to look at these movies for um research and all along he's just rehashing what he's already known and just trying to come up with new ideas and you know new fake outs and whatnot so that was a good way of doing that um i mean he was jack quaid i actually like him on his some of his um voice work voice actor work like i love him as boimer boy um boimer on um star trek uh lower decks i love him on that uh so I, it was kind of fun to see him that's but that's my first time seeing him in live action i'm 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 sure i mean i know he's been another stuff live action though but that was my first time seeing him in a, in a live action role so pretty cool with that um amber let's get into amber freeman right quick I, Amber was giving me like, she was suspect, but only suspect in that I felt like she had something for Tara. And I felt like Wes was her competition because she was always like the best. She, she was giving me Tatum vibes, but more along the lines of, I actually want to date Tara, you know? And her being so cagey with her, you know, like, why'd you call her sister? Like, why'd you call her sister here? And it seemed like she was being overprotective, you know, in a manner of, you know, I know I got her, I got her inhaler. I'm her, like, you know, her protector and all this stuff. Wes, you need to back off. That is my best friend and blah, 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 blah. But, <coughs> excuse me, at the end of the day, just like um, Richie was doing with his air quote stab research, she was being the overprotective friend because uh she was in on it i mean also by her having all this access to tara she knew um tara's uh visitation schedule she knew uh, you know she she knew where tara was i don't know where tara stayed but i'm just saying like she had more access to tara than she did um than anybody else did plus it was a good fake out for her 
having this animosity towards Sam and acting like she didn't want Sam to be nowhere near her because it would throw off everybody else, you know, and make them feel like not only that um, Sam shouldn't be here because she's the main source of the problem or, but also that Sam could be the killer, you know? So, but Amber at the end of the day ended up being Ghostface and the coldest moment in the movie to me outside of her killing Dewey was the whole welcome to the third act scene where she sat there and was like, Oh yeah, Liv, I know we know you're telling not to kill her. And she blows Liv's head completely off. Everybody in the theater was all four of the people in the theater just jumped. It's like, Oh shit. And she's like, welcome to the third act. And I was like, yo, and then after you sit there and get all of the reveals about, you know, because you know, you know, Richie was mostly up under Sam's ass most of the time in the movie, except for when um, Sam went to go drive off after everybody accused her of possibly being the killer. And I'm like, Amber bodied a lot of people in this movie. And I know some people would probably argue that Richie was the one who attacked Tara at the beginning of the movie, though. But I think that was Amber. Um, I mean, it makes sense. And um, she murked Dewey. She killed Judy Hicks in broad daylight. And she killed her close friend, Wes. It was just like, unless... She killed both of them probably took out uh Wes and Judy, if you think about it. Wes could have been taken out by um Amber and then Richie could have probably been the one to take out uh Judy. But the fact that they murked an entire family and then um took out Dewey, took I think Aunt Richie had been the one to take out Vince. Um and I'm thinking it could have been Amber, but I think it was Richie. But Amber did a lot of the leg work. Is what I'm trying to get around to. And shout out to Jason um, Screams, who was my boy on Instagram, because he's a huge Amber fan. And because of the reason, because he's like, she needs to get her flowers. And I agree with him 100%. Amber was the VIP of Ghostface. I mean, outside of the originals, but she was bodying people left and right like it's amazing and so um because she took out but well, she didn't take out chad but she injured chad and she uh i think that was uh richie who attacked um mindy um but yeah it had been richie and but at the end of the day amber had the most kills in the entire movie and i loved her psychotic um react I, mean, I, like, I like how she tried to sit there and play innocent she went back from innocent to psycho innocent to psycho it was very cute i liked it um my boy don did not care for it because he said that her death scene at the end of the movie was reminiscent to her scene in once upon a time in um hollywood i have not seen once upon a time in hollywood so I didn't know any of that throwback, any throwback to that. So I'm going to go watch it just because. Uh, plus, um, Jason also told me that 
Once Upon a Time in Hollywood had a different ending because it was dealing with a subject matter that I didn't think was like to be glorified, but he he told me that it had a different um, outcome, so I'm going to go back and check it out and come off my Tarantino band, but anyway, but no, Amber was VIP Ghostface, so she she gets all the flowers from me. And finally, to my two twins, but not finally, because I got to talk about Liv. She really didn't give me much. Liv um, McKenzie didn't give me much outside of her last name, because we all know that Casey Becker and the Becker stayed not far from the McKenzie's, because they told um, Mr. Becker told Mrs. Becker to go to the McKenzie's house. And I'm wondering if that's the same McKenzie's that, um, that Liv is from. I mean, growing from a small town, there are different sets of different last names in Brownsville or just any small town, period. But it just seems like the um, creators, I mean, um, Radio Silence used the uh, McKenzie for her last name for a reason. Um, so who's to sit there and say that that might not pop up in the, a future movie. Outside of that, Liv just gave me good looks, um, crazy eyes. She's a beautiful girl. Um, she gave me good looks, crazy eyes, and I felt like she was underused a little bit because I feel like they should have gave her more to do. I will say this, though. She had the um, the craziest death scene in the entire movie. Um and I felt like I liked her a whole lot more than that bitch Olivia from Scream 4. So there's that. Um, and finally to my twins, Chad and Mindy. I love the representation. Not only did I love the representation, but I also love the fact that we had a beautiful black lesbian who was a film nerd. It just spoke to my heart. And she's bae. She's like my lesbian crush. She's bae. Um, and also Chad, not, he was the jock, but a jock with a little common sense. I know a friend of mine said that Chad kind of had a chase scene. It was suspenseful, but we haven't had a good chase scene to scream since CC Cooper went over that. Um, let me take that back. Let me take that back. We haven't had a good chase scene since Scream 3 when um, Sarah Darling in um, uh, Sunrise Studios and hell, the chase, the biggest chase scene in Scream 3 was the um, mansion chase scene with Jennifer Jolie and Gail and all of that. That was, that was the, I mean, that was like classic chase scene, but Chad did not have a good chase scene. It was suspenseful about how they used the technology and stuff like that because I, that's another thing I like that the movie did. They did a lot of good um, use of modern technology and made it terrifying. So that was great. Um, but I'm glad that Chad actually survived. I'm glad that Mindy survived. This is the first time a black person has survived a screen movie since Dwayne Martin in Scream 2. And even though in Scream 2, he left town. But it's just the fact that he he made sure not to stay there and get wrapped up in even more bullshit because he would have ended up in the third scene, I mean, in the third act, um, bludgeoned somewhere or, or stabbed the fuck up. So, but it was the first time that not only 
two black people survive the screen movie, but the four core cast of that movie are all of color. We have two black people. We have a black lesbian and we have two Latinas. That was beautiful. And a lot of people said that too many people survived the movie, but you have to remember that Gail and Sydney, you had to subtract them from that equation. They're passing the torch to the new generation because in screen four, there was no torch to be passed down to. Kirby was presumed dead and the movie didn't make an, they it didn't make gangbusters like they thought it was. And so it just ended there. But with this new with Screen 5, Gail and Sydney are there to pass the torch on to the new cast. And in the original Scream, there were four survivors. Sydney, Randy, Gail, and Dewey. So it just makes the most sense. Now, who's to sit there and say that Sydney or Gail might not end up being an opening kill in the next two movies? I mean, each new Star Wars movie killed off the original um, three main stars outside of um, Lando, C-3PO, and R2-D2 in each movie. You know, Han bit it first, then Luke, then Leia. And the only reason we get we lost Leia is because um, Carrie Fisher, may she rest in peace, um, died unexpectedly. So, but who's to say that she probably would have survived, you know, Star Wars, but it's just, that's now canon. So who's to sit there and say that Gail might not be might not go in the next movie and then the third movie Sydney might finally um bite it. We don't want to I don't want to talk to in existence though, but there's that. But at the end of the day, I'm glad that uh we got representation and that it was through Randy because not only did which goes into my final thoughts of the movie as a whole, um because the movie was a, a critique of fandom, of, of horror fandom as a whole. And, uh, well, not just horror fandom, but fandom, period, and how toxic it can be. And I think uh, some people didn't like that because, again, when you sit there and tell somebody, like, show a mirror to somebody, they're going to react in a way that is very, like, they're going to be um, gnashing their teeth and snarling and, oh, this is bullshit, you know, all this stuff. But it's just like, yo, that's you. They're talking about you because you don't know how to act, you know. So that was one great thing I got from the movie. And this whole thing about people wanting to, like, take over franchises and make it their own, that's a part of, like, fandom across the board, whether it's horror, sci-fi, fantasy, superhero, whatever. And... It's, I mean, because we, we tend to do that. Um, granted, some of our fandom leaders, meaning that the people who create our, fan, our fandom creators, like people like Joss Whedon and who else was just a duplicitous asshole now. But the thing of the matter is that they, some people try to, actually they try, it's just certain people give us something and we embrace it as a, as if it's our own. But then we tend to rip it from the creator's hands and try to not live up, but, the, but try to make what we think the 
franchise or where the franchise should go, you know, because that's what's because that's what somebody wants. For instance, just because somebody feels that like we're talking about Screen Five, a lot of people wanted Screen Five to have Sydney snap now and start killing people, which doesn't make any sense. But because so many people in fandom wanted that, and this and just imagine if you have somebody who went with that like studios said okay give us a script and somebody had came there and went with that and they ended up being screen um they ended up being screen five a lot of people would have been pissed they would have been pissed because they've been like well that doesn't make any sense but when you have somebody who's very vocal trying to speak for the majority of a fandom it tends to go around pretty messily, not messily, but like just, just messy, you know? And I think that's the, that's something that we as a fandom should just try to like curb a little bit, you know, just because this is what you want does not necessarily mean. And just because you have a bigger platform to voice what you think the fandom should go or where the franchise should go does not necessarily mean that you're in the right and that that's where everybody else and that everybody else is on the same page as you so but yeah i felt that it touched on that it also touched i like the whole um commentary on like legacy sequels and whatnot because it give us it gives us a new set of rules um because these are legacy sequels now and that means that just because you think you know what's going to happen you know, we're going to give you a little bit of nostalgia. We're going to throw in a little bit of Easter eggs, but we're also going to move the story forward and shatter some of your preconceived notions of what is to come and what should come. And I, I'm, I'm here for it now. I know some people call it like the best screen sequel. And I told you at the beginning of the episode, I'm not going to rank them. I'm not going to rank Screen 5 amongst all the rest of them because I feel like I want to for the hype around the movie to die down. And, um, you know, people, you know, actually go through and rewatch the movie several times and then come back with the ranking. But because um, I know a lot of people used to rank Screen 4 as a like they would probably rank screen even though a lot of people didn't like screen three they used to rank screen four behind three like in the in the order they came out but i know some people who actually rank screen four after all these years behind screen one and like i know somebody's ranking with screen one screen four screen two and then screen three and i seen some that said screen three was their number four and i'm like i don't know about that i just no that's just my personal opinion no we're not doing that here so uh not saying that your opinion is bad it's just that i don't think that i feel like screen two was a way better movie than screen three because it had the original creator um the, the two original creators Wes craven and kevin Williams behind the, the scenes and then screen three was pretty much um adapted from ewan kruger and I, it just seemed like it was more hammy than Scream 2 was. Scream 2 seemed like it was a seamless sequel to Scream 1. 
and Scream 3 just seemed like, even though I do enjoy Scream 3, I know a lot of people don't like it, but we had some great moments in the movie. Scream 3 seemed a little bit more hammy, you know, like it was like more of a hard comedy than the first two were. It's like it was heavier on the comedy than it was of the, um, than the second one was. That's just me. But, and I feel like Scream 4 is the same thing. It's like it had a lot more gag moments in the movie and it, it wasn't suspenseful in a lot of areas. So, um, even though Kevin Williams was on that one and so was Wes Craven though, but you know, I didn't rank them then. I'm just letting you guys know that, but no. So overall screen five was a very much needed addition to the franchise. It opened up the door for future sequels, um, that did not have to, that, that, that do not really have to involve Sidney Prescott or even Gail Weathers, or they could be involved from afar because this is now Sam and Tara's story. This is now their situation. Now that it's been, even though Gail said that she's not going to write a book on the murders, giving Amber and Richie, like, you know, notoriety, she's going to focus on Dewey. But this is the age of the internet when people realize what Richie and Amber were trying to do. Cause the most, the motive of those two is going to get out. It might not be a new movie based on a Gail Weathers tell all, but the motive is going to get out. Some people might sell their rights to the story. And then another stab movie is going to get made. And then after that happens, that's going to breed more psychos because there's so many of them out there nowadays. Um, so it opens up a new door because there's a lot about Sam's lineage that we don't know. And who's to sit there and Billy sitting here had sex behind Sydney's back and actually produced a child who sit there, who's not say that he didn't do that to somebody else or who's to sit there and say that like, Oh, I'm Mickey Altieri's nephew and you know I want in on that or they could be like you know anything that happened in this movie could be like you know a fractured they, they can bring back another killer I mean some Richie somebody from Richie or Amber's family could come in and end up being killers later on down the line that's what I'm trying to say it just opens up a new um, branch to the franchise and passes the torch on and we got new heroes in Sam, Tara, Chad, and Mindy, especially Mindy. Good God. Um, hopefully, Chad and Mindy don't bite in the next movie. Um, you know, maybe one of them goes somewhere and then come, like, save one for Scream, um, Scream 6 and save another one if they decide to do a Scream 7. You know, do that. But, yeah. But, yeah, overall, I give Scream a five out of a five. Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I really, I can't wait to own it. And I wonder if they're going to do another big box set of all the movies in it. Are they going to just release this one solo? But either way, it's going to be in my uh, 4k HD shelf soon. So tell me what you thought about screen. I mean, other than what you screen five, other than what you probably already told me, but tell me more. Leave comments or let's leave a review for me about my review of Scream 5. And what, you know, just leave your, tweet me your thoughts 
if you agree with some of my assessments, you're not, I'm here for a good health debate. And yeah, so this concludes the third act. And I would like for you to follow me on Instagram at Marco Estes. Um, and I tell people all the time, every episode, you already know the drill. If you want to follow me on that Marco Estes account on Instagram, please send me a message. DM me. Tell me who you are. Don't just say, follow me, please. That's kind of creepy. Um, and that's just how you introduce yourself is follow me, please. It's like, no, tell me something about yourself that makes me want to follow you. I'm in the process of doing a lot of cleaning of my social medias because I have a lot of people who just get on there to follow and then there's no interaction, just a lot of spam um, posts on my timeline and those who actually do engage with me, I barely see anything that they post because I have too many people just constantly posting shit of irrelevance all, all day long. So... There's some hard people out there who are spammers. So just tell me who you are and what you're trying to do. And if you actually engage with people and just don't, and just not in it for likes and clicks. So just let me, so my socials are Marco Estes, at, uh, Marco Estes on IG. Also on Instagram, you can find me under Midnight Social Distortion, all one word. You can find me on Twitter at the Antichritic. And you can find me on Clubhouse under MS Distortion. And we recently just did a Clubhouse on Demon Knight, the UV Horror Society. It was amazing, as I told you earlier in the episode. And yeah, um, follow us on there. And I did um, rejoin Facebook only because I'm from my toy hunting thing I mentioned earlier in the episode. So I'm still trying to suss that out and try to figure out if I want to include that in my socials so far because I have to do a lot of spring cleaning with that too. It's too many people on there that um, post um, disinformation on a daily basis are showing themselves to be MAGA people and don't have my best interests at heart. So why would I sit there and have my page filled with a lot of negativity? It's time to clean house. So, with that being said, I hope you guys have a wonderful week. I'll come back next week with more information on Black Horror, Black Queer Horror History Month. And yeah, so learn something through this Black History Month and this Women in Horror History Month. Do better. Be safe. Until next time. Peace.